0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Pastor Chad, and thanks so much for listening to our podcast. Uh, We are thrilled to have you on the journey with us. Thank you so much for rating our podcast and reviewing our podcast. That helps so much and means the world to me and to our team. And I also want to say uh, thank you so much to our team that helps put all this together. Okay, so this week is part two of a series that we're in called Garden in the Grave. Garden in the Grave really is a journey from the Garden of Gethsemane to the empty tomb. This is exciting because part two of this series really is the journey to the cross. Jesus has just exited the Garden of Gethsemane. He has been betrayed by Judas, and we're going to journey today, we're going to journey through this podcast, and see all of the different things he faced on his way to the cross. The journey of the cross for Jesus is much like your journey in life. It is filled with betrayal. It has moments of rejection. There are those that rise against you to strip you of all the credibility you've worked your whole life to gain. And yet, there are some in your life that are standing on the sidelines that God is saying, I need to add them into your journey. I need to add them into your story. The journey to the cross is beautiful to me because it represents self-denial. It represents a servant leader in such humility. Only our God can give us a perfect model of what a journey truly looks like. And I say that as we survey his journey to the cross, that we don't just take notes of what his journey looked like, but we allow his spirit to give us the power we need to fulfill our journey. Right from the garden, Jesus is immediately captured by his betrayer. In fact, that's kind of when he picks all the guys up and he says, Hey, enough sleeping. My betrayer has come. Judas Iscariot comes and greets Jesus with a kiss on the cheek signifying this is the guy, this is the the dude, this is the one that claims that he's the Messiah. All the soldiers rush in and long story short, they they capture Jesus, they take him away. And and it is here, this moment, that he starts getting cross-examined. It's in this moment that he starts to walk out uh, the essential pieces to the story Before his crucifixion. Now, the reason why he told Peter to make sure he prayed was because he knew temptation was coming. In fact, Jesus would earlier tell Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Vehemently. Peter's like, There's no way. I will never deny you. I'm with you heart and soul. And again, we see intentions not line up with actions. So Jesus is in captivity. Pontius Pilate and his wife are cross-examining Jesus. And it says, Peter followed at a distance, which I think that phrase is so uh, parallel to so many of our lives because sometimes you and I were following Jesus at a distance. Have you ever been there where you followed Jesus at a distance, you're, you're close enough to say, I'm here, I'm in, I love you, but you're far enough away to not be associated. Far enough away to not be lumped in with those guys. Peter follows at a distance and it's going to come to pass where three different occasions, three different opportunities are presented to him to stand up for his faith or deny his faith. This is tough and this is tricky because a lot of us, we don't know how to handle that moment when someone says, are you one of them? Aren't, aren't you a, a Jesus person? Aren't you one of those, those Christian people? Don't, don't you believe this? Don't you believe that? And Peter doesn't know how to handle this. Peter doesn't have the backbone. He doesn't have the uh, character or the wherewithal to withstand this moment. The moment is too big for him. And so three separate occasions, he actually goes wild. He actually gets demonstrative, and he's like, I, I, I've never met him. I don't know. Wait, so wait a second. Peter, you were just with this guy for three years. You were just with him going, I'm with you heart and soul. You were just with him in the garden of Gethsemane praying, not one of the eight that was in the back. You were one of the three. You were on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus told you, Peter, that you, you're the one he's going to build the church on. And now when it counts when it matters most you don't even you don't even know him peter has fallen fallen victim to what many of us fall into and it's called the polls of public opinion where what people think about us matters so much rejection uh, not being accepted it's too much and so peter he gives in to the temptation Of pleasing people more than pleasing God and he denies that he even has a relationship with Jesus. Now this is important to understand because Jesus right now, he already called it, he already knew this, but he is being betrayed by one of his closest friends in the world. He is being betrayed by someone that he considers family to him. Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever had someone do something to you that you could never imagine? Someone break your trust? Someone do something at the level and the degree that Peter did because Jesus is in his darkest moment. He's he's in the time of his life that he needs his closest friends and when it matters most, one of his best friends on the earth is not even there to stand with him, can't even, can't even publicly say, yeah, I knew that guy, let alone believe, let alone say he's the Messiah, let alone be like, I left my business to follow this guy. Peter won't even admit that he has a relationship with Jesus. I wonder if you've gone through betrayal at the level that Jesus has. Maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what? To be honest, I've been hurt by the person that I was closest to. I've been walked out on by the person that told me they would be with me forever. Jesus is so human in this moment because Jesus allowed friends into his circle and his closest friend has let him down. Now even though Jesus is with Pilate, even though Jesus is being cross-examined, he is very well aware. He knows that Peter has denied him three times. In fact, The Bible says that a rooster crows so loud, signifying that what Jesus had said to Peter truly did come to pass. The Bible says Peter runs away and he weeps bitterly. In other words, he's not mad at Jesus. He's angry with himself. Have you ever been there? Have you ever broken your own heart? Have you ever done the thing that you swore and promise that you'd never do? Have you ever found yourself crying? Unbelievable sorrow, inexplicable pain. How did I put myself in this situation? I knew better, God told me better, I promised I'd never. Peter is in that place, he is weeping bitterly all the while Jesus is with Pilate being examined. Now, what I love about Jesus so much is that he called it, he knew it, and yet when he gets up from the grave, the first instruction he tells the angel, Angel, tell them that I'm alive and make sure you find Peter. He doesn't say this because he's angry with Peter. He says this because he's committed to Peter. Even his betrayer, even the one that turned his back in his darkest moment, Jesus gets up from the grave and he shows him grace. In fact, Peter, he would go back to fishing. He would go back to his comfortable, convenient life. And Jesus, when he gets up from the grave, pursues Peter, finds him in a boat from the shore, calls him out by name. Peter rushes, swims in the water to the shore. Jesus makes him breakfast and reinstates him. And as many times as Peter denied Jesus, is as many times as Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? He says, oh, God, you know that I love you. Peter, do you love me? He says, Jesus, You know that I love you. And a third time, Peter, you love me, don't you? And he says, yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. He said, go and feed my sheep. Even a betrayer, even one that wasn't there for Jesus in his darkest moment, he knew it was part of his journey, and he showed grace, and he showed forgiveness to the person that was closest to him that let him down. I wonder in our worlds, do we forgive our betrayers? or do we hold grudges? Do we let bitterness sink in? Do we allow the venom of unforgiveness to wipe us out? Or do we say, you know what? I know you didn't mean what you said to me. I know that's not really who you are, what you did to me. And I believe the best in other people. So all of us face betrayal. Betrayal is sort of inevitable, Because again, we live on a fallen planet. All of us are humans. And maybe you, maybe you've been the one that has betrayed trust, hurt people. There's good news and good grace for all of us because we have the power through Jesus to face betrayal, to forgive ourselves and the ones that have sinned against us. Now, let's go to part two. Part two of the journey of the cross is the power of rejection. You know, one of the things that's hard about life is the feeling of being rejected. The journey to the cross reminds us that Jesus faced rejection on a level that maybe you and I can relate to. Have you ever been rejected? Here's Jesus, the Son of Man. Jesus, the the Son of God, and crowds are chanting against him. They actually don't want him to be released. Even though Pilate is somewhat favorable. Pilate's going, guys, what did this guy do? I can't find fault in him. But the crowds chant. And they get really loud. And they get really extreme. And they get really violent. And they start yelling, we don't want you to release Jesus. We want Barabbas. Barabbas? You want Barabbas is a murderer. Jesus has not murdered. He's healed. He's loved. He's embraced. He's fed. He's clothed. He's he's been amazing to people. And you want the the crowds let out a roar and they say Barabbas. And over and over they reject the God man, but they want the other man. How about you? Have you been rejected? There is no sting like the sting of feeling like I'm unwanted here. There's there's no sting like the sting of being uninvited to a place. There's no sting like someone standing up and saying, we don't want you here. We want so-and-so. In fact, we choose this person over you. You're You're not welcome. You're not desired. You're not wanted. You're the worst. And yet so-and-so is the one we choose over you. This This is a sting that's going to hit Jesus. He's human. He's feeling he's just been betrayed. And now if betrayal wasn't enough, he's been betrayed by Judas. He's been betrayed by Peter. And now on top of that, emotionally, he's got to wear the weight of rejection. Rejection will make you do some very crazy things. Rejection push all the buttons of insecurity. And when you're insecure, remember, it's only when we are secure in our relationships, secure in our identity, and secure with who we are that we operate with confidence and we operate with ease. And yet Jesus, on his way to the cross, being rejected, still maintains a sense of security. How does he do it? How does he stay so calm? Isaiah, the prophet says, he's like a sheep that is led to the slaughter, yet he never spoke a word. <laughs> imagine Jesus, the crowds are chanting and they're like, Barabbas! And imagine Jesus defending himself. Uh, imagine, just try and get a picture of Jesus going, Barabbas is the worst! I'm the best. No, Jesus doesn't do it. He doesn't self-validate. He doesn't defend himself. He stays quiet and he stays confident amidst rejection. This is so opposite to you and I. Because I know for me, when I feel rejection, I tend to overcompensate. It it makes me feel some sort of way. You're rejecting me. How could this? And I can shut down. I can get quiet. Rejection is a power. Sometimes I believe rejection is more powerful than acceptance. Because rejection pushes a button in you that makes you feel, oh, you don't love me? You don't want me? You don't like who I am? What's amazing about Jesus is he's going to a cross and crowds are chanting, We don't like you. We don't want you. We don't need you. You're a fraud, and they're gonna start mocking. So again, sometimes rejection is more powerful than acceptance. We all face rejection, but that doesn't mean we have to give in to the sting and the emotions and the feelings that come with being uninvited or unwanted. We can stand secure in not only our relationship with God, but in our relationship with the people in our life that do love us, do accept us, do want us around. The lie of the enemy is to get you to believe nobody likes you. Nobody cares about you. You're on your own. You've been rejected by everybody. No, it's a lie. God accepts you. And he sent great people in your life to accept you as well. This next one is so powerful to me because sooner or later, we're all going to face this. And it's called destroying someone's credibility. Nothing is more important than your credibility. And that's why people will rise up against you to bring accusations, drag your name through the mud, and try everything they can within their power to take you out. Why people have so much hate? I'll never be able to figure that out. Why Trolls must be trolls. I'll never understand. But Jesus gives us a model of how to handle when people try and destroy your credibility. Here's Jesus. And they bring him out simply to mock him. They put a purple robe over his shoulders and they twist together a crown of thorns. So mean. So cruel. They place it on his brow and they put the robe over his shoulders and they blindfold him and they start to beat him. And when they're done beating him, they say, Hey, prophet, prophet guy, prophesy. Who hit you, man? Do you know who it is? And they, they totally try and dismantle his credibility. We live in a culture and a society that lives to destroy someone's credibility. You can work your whole life to create a reputation. You can work your whole life to be so-and-so. And yet when somebody comes against you, one of the things that our culture loves to do is tear someone down and destroy the life work you've built. This is Jesus. 33 years. He has been so good. He has been a servant. He has loved, given, helped, and yet they mock him. They're trying to destroy in front of crowds the credibility of his gift, of his life, of who he is. They say, come on, man, who hit you? You're the king of the Jews. You're, you're the prophet. Do you? And they're ridiculing him. They are mocking him. They are going against him. They are saying, You're a liar. You're a fraud. You're not who you proclaim to be. This is culture today. This is the world we live in. This is society. Society wants to do everything it can to take who you are and tear it down. I wonder if you've ever had anyone try and destroy your credibility because Jesus is in it and he has, he has to go through this. He has to get whipped. He has to get beaten. He has to wear the crown, but he has to be mocked. He has to be ridiculed. He has to be laughed at in order to journey to the cross. Sometimes in life, we have to face things we don't want to face. We have to go through things We don't want to go through And one of the things that we'll face here on earth is something, someone coming against you, your family, your life, to destroy the credibility of who you are. This will be a moment of great testing. This will be a moment of great patience. We'll have to follow the model of Jesus because Jesus didn't actually operate in his gift in this time. He didn't, well, he was blindfolded, go, that one was Rick, that one was Jim. No, he stayed quiet. He didn't overcompensate. He didn't have to prove anything. Even though he was the prophet, even though he was the Messiah, he chose, you can do everything within your power to destroy my credibility, but I'm not validated by man, I am validated by God. And when God validates you, you don't have to prove yourself to anybody here on earth. Even if someone tries to lure you and seduce you, prove to us your innocence. Prove to us your gifting. No, Jesus was the one that was baptized, and when he was baptized, he came out of the water and the heavens opened, and the Father's voice boomed, and a dove showed up, and the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Son were there, and the Father said, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. In other words, Jesus had all the validation and all the security he could ever need, and it wasn't these people, these mockers. It wasn't this crowd that ridiculed it. It wasn't this group that tried to take away and strip his credibility that would cause Jesus to gain it back by flexing. He didn't have to do such thing because he knew who he was. I wonder when someone comes to take away your credibility, when someone comes to mock who you are, can you stand in the quietness and the confidence of who you are in Christ Cause you don't have to prove yourself in front of man because you've been proven by God. So just because someone tries to destroy your credibility doesn't mean your credibility is gone. They don't have that much authority over you. God has the final say. And if God has approved you and God can promote you and God can use you, who cares what man says? This last part is so important because... To me, it's actually my favorite of the whole message. That sometimes there are these bystanders that are just watching life, watching the Jesus story, and yet somehow God finds a way to captivate their life, pull them into the God story, and do a mighty work in their life. So here's Jesus, and he's carrying his cross with a crown of thorns on his brow. He is now journeying to a place. Called Golgotha. It will be on this hill that they raise up his body and nail him to a cross. If they haven't been mean enough to him already, if he hasn't faced enough pain, remember this is the man that the night before was sweating blood in a garden. He has been betrayed now by two of his closest friends, Judas of Iscariot and Peter, his closest friend. He has been cross-examined by Pilate, who wanted to let him go, but the crowds rejected Jesus and chose Barabbas. They mocked him. Laughed at him. Spit into his face. And if that wasn't enough, they chose to whip him, our Savior, our God, took all the whipping on his back and he's bleeding. He's exhausted. His soul is depleted and now they want him to carry his cross. Who are these people? This is mean-spirited. This is cruel. They want, they want him to totally be drugged through the mud. They want him disgraced. They want to, they, they cannot go against him any further. So now he's got his cross. And now with the crowds around him chanting, they are lined up and our Savior is walking to Golgotha with his cross on his back. This is too much. He can't handle this. No man, no human can. Remember, he is a man at this time. So Jesus, bloodied and beaten and betrayed and rejected, who knows, perhaps even emotional, on the brink of dying for my sin and your sin is trying to carry a cross. A cross. Massive. Huge. This is what he would die upon. And as he's trying to carry this cross, they realize we've gone too far. This is too much. So they see on the side an innocent bystander. They see on the side, he's got a son named Alexander, a son named Rufus, and he's there just to kind of take in the madness just as an innocent bystander. And all of a sudden he goes from, let's watch and see what happens to the guy that's a prophet that says he's God, to all of a sudden, whoop! He is whisked. Simon has been grabbed and now he's carrying the cross. This is so God because I find that God takes the innocent bystander, the innocent one that's in the service. And all of a sudden they get whisked, they get brought in and now they are in the story. God has a way of surprising us and choosing us in the most unexpected times. Some of us are like, I don't know how I got this position. I don't know how I got this job. I don't know how I got into this community. It's amazing that God on his journey is still choosing people. He is still taking people that thought they were just going to watch the Jesus story, and he includes them in the Jesus story. I love this about God. There is no person that's off limits. You don't have to be one of the 12 disciples. It's just a guy with his two boys watching the game, watching the activities. The festivities are passing by, and all of a sudden, this guy Simon is caught up. He is now a part of the Jesus crucifixion. I wonder for you, if you've been standing there, in a service, in a moment and all of a sudden God calls your name. God calls you out of the crowd just like he did with Zacchaeus in a tree. God has this way of separating crowds and individuals. I think God knew that this man from Cyrene named Simon was on his way with his two boys to stand there. And God, in his sovereignty, chose for Simon to be in the Jesus story. And I have to admit that maybe you thought you were just coming to church. You were just watching a video, but God is calling your name and putting you in the Jesus story. All that to say, and thanks again for joining us on today's podcast. There is a journey for Jesus, and good news, there is a journey for us. And in the same way that God gave power to Jesus, the strength that he needed to go through his journey, I believe God will give you the strength, the wisdom, the grace, the fortitude, the peace, and the community that you need to go through your journey just the same We love you. We're for you. We're rooting for you here in Los Angeles. And uh, if you ever make your way to the LA County, you got to stop by Zoe Church. Meet us in the Valley or at the El Rey. We'd love to see you. Have a great day.